This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your curator, Peter Korchnak. Yugoslovenka, a Yugoslav woman, is among the most famous pop songs of Yugoslav times. Not only that, Lepa Brena, who recorded it in 1989, is the greatest and best-selling Yugoslav pop star, Yugoslavia's Madonna, or Tina Turner, if you will. But just like the song encompassed all of Yugoslavia, Lepa Brena was more than a pop icon. She continues to personify Yugoslavia for many to this day, including the Kalajlic father-daughter duo who covered the song when Neira was 8 years old. My eyes are the Adriatic Sea, my hair is the Pannonian ears of grain, melancholic is my Slavic soul, I am a Yugoslav woman, goes the chorus. Lepa Brenna's response to three different male singers of different ethnicities, asking her where she's from and who she is. The Yugoslovenkov song and Lepa Brenna as the singer are the female personification of Yugoslavia as a binary, feminine-gendered landscape expressing the coast plains duality, wrote historian Catherine Baker. In the music video, Lepa Brenna flies over fields in a helicopter, waves the Yugoslav flag on a boat, frolics through landscapes. Lepa Brenna represented a Yugoslav mainstream culture policy project, according to musicologist Anna Hoffman. Sociologist Latan Delic maintains Lepa Brenna literally embodied the Yugoslav dream as a natural representation of being a Yugoslav. Lepa Brenna's greatest hit nowadays both evokes nostalgia for those times, at concerts people wave the Yugoslav flag when the song comes up, and constitutes the starting point for a story of women's emancipation through art in the former Yugoslavia and beyond, as told by Yasmina Tumbas, assistant professor of contemporary art history and performance studies at the University of Buffalo, in her new book I Am Yugoslovenka, Feminist Performance Politics During and After Yugoslav Socialism, out now from Manchester University Press. In today's episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, I'm going to talk to Tumbas about the Yugoslovenka and about the book, and have three artists, all Yugoslovenkas, chime in. But before we get started, I want to express my gratitude to Jose Luis and Steven for supporting the show and me in making it. I really appreciate your generous contributions, guys. Thank you. If you like the show, join Jose Luis and Steven and many other sustaining supporters on Patreon, or donate one time via PayPal. Visit rememberingyugoslavia.com today. A native of Subotica Vojvodina, Yasmina Tumbas moved to Germany as a child with her parents in 1988. She lived in Germany off and on for several years before she went to the United States to complete her education. She now lives and works in Buffalo, New York, where she spoke with me last summer. The book resulted from a lengthy life experience and thought process. In Germany, no one really was interested in my Yugoslav status. No one cared. I was not once asked what it meant for me to come from Yugoslavia. Everybody knew we're the refugees, we're the immigrants who are everywhere, you know. So there was a lot of animosity towards um, uh, Yugoslav people. And it was only in the United States, in the university system, where people started asking me these questions and where I actually felt like work on the region was legitimate and was considered a legitimate path in scholarship, which was extremely moving to me as someone who prior had never been asked, never been pushed, never been exposed to anything in my courses or teaching about Yugoslavia, which is quite shocking if you think about it. 
I worked on performance and conceptual art uh, in the region in former Yugoslavia and Hungary during my dissertation. But as I was finishing my dissertation, I began to realize that I'm much more interested in um, Yugoslavia, A and B, that there is a lot of material that is kind of connected to the idea of the body as a site of desire that was very central in all the works I was seeing in Yugoslavia, especially works by women. The body as a site of desire and as a, the body as a site of emancipation that I was very much drawn to. And the longer I thought about it, the more I also realized that my own upbringing with the women around me, um, my mother and my grandmother, the matriarchs of the family, you know, working class women who were um, extremely emancipated, who were very body affirming, instilling values of self-respect, respect towards others, working hard, thinking of the collective, thinking of society rather than just the self, um, not really caring about men's approval and those kinds of things. And I started to think about, well, where does this come from? You know, um, how come my friends, my German friends' mothers aren't uh, telling their kids these things? How come I'm really not surrounded by that wherever I am, unless I am with my Yugoslav diasporic friends or unless I'm visiting? And I realized that I saw a connection to it in the cultural production in Yugoslavia, Specifically, you know, some of the avant-garde artists that I encountered in my research as a graduate student, but then also thinking about some of the women that had influenced my own life and coming of age as a woman, like Lepa Brenna, Esma Recepova, uh, you know, and other bigger stars that really shape how we understand, you know, our emancipatory position as women. And then I started to think about how I can put these things together because I think they do belong together. We are not just talking about cultural production that is on the periphery, you know, this idea idea of something more privileged and elite in the, in, in the gallery system, but really thinking about multiple forms of visual and cultural production that is relevant to understanding the figure of the Yugoslav woman. And so that really led me to think about this idea of Yugoslovenka, uh, which of course is most famous in uh, Lepa Brena's song from 1989, Yasin Yugoslovenka. That song solidified really my conceptual idea for the book to really just focus on the women and their emancipation. There you have it, a quarter century old pop song as inspiration. But it's not just the song, just as Yugoslavia was not just any woman, and Yugoslavia not just any country. Yugoslavia was such an exceptional place of socialism where women, you know, had so much emancipatory power that they enjoyed more legal rights and social mobility, you know, including access to education and labor mobility than in really most other countries. And I really was interested in telling this extraordinary story of women's emancipation within arts during socialism but also marking the importance of women's work during and after the Yugoslav wars of the 1990s and thinking about the legacy of that feminist emancipation in the works of um, you know, women in black, the activist group, and other younger artists that uh, are doing work now, like Selma Selman, who identifies as a Yugoslovenka in, in some of her works, and she was actually born after you know, Yugoslavia disintegrated. So the idea of Yugoslavia is actually alive and well if you look at the feminist legacy of that idea. And that's in that way, it's also an alternative story of Yugoslavia. What is Yugoslavia's story? What's her journey? I think that we have yet to learn what her journey is. In my book, I begin to trace 
her journey um, in different aspects. But I think that there's a lot more that we will learn. So really, Yugoslavia and Yugoslovenka is so complicated because you have the Yugoslovenka who stayed, uh, the Yugoslovenka who's still alive, who was a partisan fighter, right? Then you have the Yugoslovenka who's the daughter of the partisan fighter, the Yugoslovenka who's the daughter of the daughter of the partisan fighter, you know, and then, then you have, I mean, so it really depends on... Um, uh, she's she's really not one figure, but she stands in for these ideas that I think are really important uh, that are related to Yugoslavia as a project itself. And Yugoslovenka as a figure really holds a lot of the sort of positive aspects of Yugoslav socialism that I think are really generative and places to look for future ideas of how, how we might move forward. So for me, Yugoslovenka represents the transnational feminist position that is deeply anti-nationalist in itself. And that means not only anti-nationalist against the rise of the individual nations during the wars and the rise of the conservative ideas around uh, womanhood, religion, but it also means that a lot of the feminists were critical of Yugoslavia as well, you know, of the nationalism of Yugoslavia. And I think if we are to think about a robust political project that embraces ideas of socialism, we have to look at it with the feminist foundation of socialism that owed so much to the women's movement. And I think if we look to Yugoslovenka as a figure, it really allows us to say, okay, you know, socialism was deeply revolutionary for women. Women resisted, women had positions of power, but also were repressed. Women embraced their bodies. You know, I, I get a sense that a lot of the time in scholarship that's especially inflected by Cold War ideas around uh, socialism that are more West-leaning, there is a whole sense that socialism was this, you know, labor-driven, non-sexual movement. But what we learn actually by looking at women's work, especially the 80s, you know, the lesbian movement and all the lesbian activism is that there was a huge movement of embracing women's desires and actually voicing those desires and queer desires in socialism and that they really didn't have to wait, you know, for, for it to be brought to them, but it was actually happening within uh, Yugoslavia. And so I think that's why I'm so invested in this project, because it's a project of honoring women's work and giving them more and more space in narrating this extraordinary history of socialism. In her book, Tumbas first introduces Yugoslavia as a figure that was both parallel to and emblematic of Yugoslav socialism. The complicated and traumatic history of Yugoslav socialism is intertwined with an equally complicated story of feminism, all of which is legible in the figure of Yugoslavia, Tumbas writes. Tito's Yugoslavia was instrumental in building a society that prided itself on egalitarian gender roles, freedom of expression, and liberation through collective action. But women's egalitarian roles were enmeshed in a patriarchal logic of emancipation. According to the ruling male establishment, women had earned the right to be granted equality. But while the Yugoslav system legally announced women's equality, it asked women to perform household duties and kept them from advancing in the self-management system. This was disappointing, considering the fact that in the first two decades of the Yugoslav project, the Partizan Yugoslovenka, Partizanka, was an eminent source of legitimacy for Tito's Yugoslavia, and a symbol of supranational Yugoslavism before it was drowned out in the traditional culture of misogyny and sexism. 
In these lived experiences, Tumbas concludes, resistance is more deeply tied to action rather than any written doctrine, and action, by definition performed physically, has political dimensions. The sight of the female body is a sight of resistance because it is burdened with negotiating the political weight of patriarchal power despite, and sometimes because of, advances in gender equality. And so, after the Yugoslavenka helped defeat the Nazis and their ilk in the war, she had to confront the survival of patriarchy and socialism. In subsequent chapters, Tumbas identifies a number of Yugoslavenkas amongst Yugoslav artists who, in one way or another, use their bodies as sites of resistance, from performance artists, to feminist and queer artists, to Neue Slovenische Kunst artists, to popular superstars like Lepa Brena, Esma Rejepola, and Marina Abramovic. Whether you do or do not know any of these artists, framing them as Yugoslovenkas makes for an interesting take on their work and legacy. Manchester University Press has generously provided one copy of Tumbas's book I Am Yugoslovenka for a giveaway to Remembering Yugoslavia's listeners and followers. Head over to Remembering Yugoslavia's Facebook or Instagram at Remembering Yugoslavia or to my personal Twitter at Peter Korchnak to participate. Good luck! Would you then call yourself a Yugoslovenka and would you then say that that's part of your struggle, bringing those stories to the fore? Yes, I, I do consider myself a Yugoslovenka in the diaspora. Uh, I think that Every writer writes a book with a particular motivation at the base. For some, you know, it might just be a scholarly pursuit or whatnot. But for me, I think, and I think for many people who are interested in this project now in Yugoslavia, it is a form of finding the self. As I noted earlier, my mother and my grandmother were such big influences on my life. And as someone who came from a country that no longer existed, I was very confused about where I belong in this world. Um, growing up from seven, age seven on, I really didn't belong anywhere and I still don't belong anywhere. But many of the things that I believe in and the foundation of who I am belongs to the Yugoslav project and coming out of that particularly distinctive place. So for me, the journey to Yugoslovenka is uh, sort of trying to understand the project through the figure of the woman, not just for me, but, you know, for as, as a kind of role model for many of us to go back to this history, uh, especially those of us invested in uh, feminist and queer struggles and anti-corporate work and anti-capitalist work, going back to the Yugoslav project through the lens of Yugoslovenka and feminism and, uh, you know, queer history, I think can be very generative in resisting some of the more contemporary forms of erasure of those positive elements of socialism. And, you know, we do live in a time when people seem to think that there's no other possibilities than capitalism, you know. And I think that celebrating Yugoslovenka as a figure and thinking about multiculturalism, although it's an outdated term, like thinking about multiplicity, diversity, collaboration, solidarity, political uh, alliances, those things are worth being looked at. But it is very important to look at them through the lens of gender. And I think one of the biggest motivations for me was to do just that. There's a lot of you know, Marxist work on, um, you know, the male mar Marxist groups and so on and so forth. But when you look at what women were doing, they're really telling a more nuanced story of the socialist project. And I think we have to look at it honestly and carefully in order to find the generative elements. The other thing that I'm very interested in is this idea of the immigrant and the immigrant woman and the centrality of citizenship for us. 
And I think actually having grown up as a Yugoslovenka with a nation that no longer exists and having to explain yourself constantly and having your rights uh, being taken away constantly and being at the mercy of different governments, not knowing where you will be, not having a future, not having a past anymore because where you're from doesn't exist anymore. A lot of immigrants share that. And that's also why I have really turned my attention towards um, citizenship and the violence of citizenship. So Yugoslovenka is really uh, part of that research but we know now, you know, in the current crises of uh, immigration and refugee uh, violence against refugees, viol- violence against immigrants, that that is an ongoing struggle in many ways in the early 1990s, having kind of come out of uh, Yugoslavia during the rise of the glory of, of democracy. You know, we, those of us who were lesser than, you know, always uh, foreigners, as they say in German, Ausländer, we were very well aware of how violent that system is, that system of democracy is towards those who don't have access to it. So for me, Yugoslovenka is at the base of this research, but um, she has a lot of allies and she has a lot of people who are suffering similar things uh, in the diaspora, that is. And a lot, of course, a lot of women in Yugoslavia who identified with the project also lost their country, even though they are still there. You know, now they're living in Serbia, they're living in Croatia. Before that, they were in Yugoslavia. As a foreigner growing up in Germany and being harassed and beaten up by neo-Nazis and those kinds of things, like the idea that we could all be united and and live good lives is quite appealing, (laughs) even though it might be naive, you know. And so... There's something to that that I find very beautiful. Let's hear from three Yugoslovenkas. In the extended version of this episode, available to Patreon sustainers and other generous contributors, I first asked two contemporary artists, Jasmina Sibits from Slovenia and the UK, and Bojana Vidikanic from Bosnia and Herzegovina and Canada, about their experience as Yugoslovenkas. To listen to those segments in the extended version of this episode, head over to rememberingyugoslavia.com donate and contribute today. The third Yugoslovenka included in Tumbas's narrative is Tanya Ostojic, a performance artist. She spoke with me a few months ago from Istanbul, where she was a fellow at a cultural academy. Born in 1972 in Titovo-Ujice, she says in her interviews that she's from Yugoslavia, or from a country that doesn't exist anymore. But most of the time she says, I'm from Belgrade. Uh, I used to say usually the city I'm from. That's for me uh, the, the first point of identification, because I, I've never really was interested in the national borders. And uh, when I lived in France, um, so after after my BA in Belgrade, I went for another study circle in France. And that was actually 98, 99. It was a, a kind of very difficult time in my hometown. And um, they asked me where I'm from. I said, I'm from Yugoslavia. And then they asked me, well, but that doesn't exist. Where are you from? So I was a bit uh, labeled uh, something I never identified with. That was this kind of like a new nationality in a way. That was quite strange. We've been also kind of brought up in the like a Yugoslav spirit that was uh, also not somehow focused on national uh, belonging, but more in the spirit of um, non-aligned countries, like uh, where there there was always this aspiration towards the world and um, uh, towards what brings people together and not what separates them as uh, national borders. 
Ostoic studied sculpture in art school, and in the 1990s she participated in the student protest movement against Slobodan Milosevic. Her first performance, which at the time she didn't even know was a performance until the media labeled it that, was Personal Space, whereby she covered her naked, shaved body in marble dust and stood in place for two hours at a time. As an artist who traveled a lot, she found it difficult to bring along the tools and materials for sculpture making. Even I loved doing sculpture before and also after. Um, it was a material I couldn't carry with me. So the, the body art, you know, it was a, a very easy to go with. So you, you just need yourself wherever you go. That was also the reason that it was very handy to do performance art. But certainly also an interest to be in communication with people and see what they feel, what they think, how they perceive what you're doing. Uh, have this communication already included uh, in the work itself and not... Uh, having a certain object to transferring those ideas, like sculpture. In 2000, Ostoich launched a series of works titled Crossing Borders, which deals with the realities of European Union's regulations pertaining to the movement of people. In the first performance, Illegal Border Crossing, she crossed several times the border between Slovenia and Austria, the border of the European Union at the time, without authorization, as she could not get a permit at the time to enter Austria. The action would acquire a new meaning 15 years later when migrants from Africa, Middle East, and South Asia would attempt the same feat at the shifted European Union border in Croatia and Hungary. The performance Waiting for a Visa was a six-hour action where Ostojic queued with hundreds of other people in front of the Austrian consulate in Belgrade. And in looking for a husband with an EU passport, she published a personal ad seeking a man to marry. She exchanged over 500 letters and emails with people around the world who responded to the ad. The first meeting with a future husband was a public performance in Belgrade, and a few weeks later she officially married the guy and moved to Germany with a family unification visa issued on the basis of the International Marriage Certificate. Three and a half years later, in 2005 in Berlin, she held a divorce party, accompanied by an exhibition of the Project Archive. I've done a lot of works that's um, very political and uh, socially engaged and feministly engaged, and uh, that's also not only have activist potential, but they became uh, very relevant also for people who've been writing theoretical work. I have been collaborating with uh, NGOs. I have done a documentary in the deportation jail in Berlin. Uh, On on the other side, I I also took part in um, activist conferences in which activists and theoreticians are coming, not so often artists. I didn't always manage to produce uh, what I was working on. For example, I followed for two years some papier hunger strikes in Greece, and I never managed to get any funding for this documentary. And then political situation got actually economical situation, and then political in Greece escalated, so I couldn't speak anymore about those issues. But some of my works, as you know, are quite um, important advocating um, for certain issues, and um, I'm happy that they got into attention. I mean, on one side, I'm, I'm really happy that the work uh, still resonates to many people. And uh, when I started doing those projects, um, people didn't want it to hear that. They, they didn't got it, you know. I, when I've done some works, many people said, oh, you've done nothing or what are you doing? You know, it's really takes sometimes over, over 10 years that people perceive your work um, and why is it important? And uh, 
complexity of this approach and topics and everything. So the work I'm doing now, it's still uh, unpopular. <laughs> and this work from 22 years ago is um, popular. So In the lexicon of Tanya's Ostoich, a participatory research art project she ran from 2011 to 2017, Ostoich tracked down 33 of her namesakes from across the former Yugoslavia, she calls them name sisters, created a community of women with that name, and facilitated workshops and mixed media art projects with them. There's a map tracking how the Ostoich name sisters migrated, there's a collaborative embroidered piece, and there's a 2018 book summarizing the interdisciplinary transnational project. And the project was presented at a number of exhibitions across the region as well as Berlin. In an article about the project, Bojana Vidikanic writes the lexicon traces the changes in social, political, and economic lives of women in and from the region. Tanya's lives reveal a general deterioration and drastic shifts in the lives of women who have been impacted by the rise of capitalism, nationalism, xenophobia, sexism, religious intolerance, and more generally conservatism, writes Vidikanic. By highlighting the stories of women impacted by the changes around them, the lexicon continually highlights through its use of geography of migration and exploitation that the post-Yugoslav space functions on the margins of a much larger system. Western forms of neoliberal exploitation are equally invested in deterioration of women's rights. The former Yugoslavia is but a symptom of that larger structure. End quote. In the lexicon of Tanya Zostovic, I have uh, combined many different topics that I worked on over decades. Uh, one of those topics uh, is migration. Uh, another topic is uh, women's rights and uh, exactly position of women in the family, in the society, access to education, um, workers' rights, so women as a worker, and so on. And the work is quite relevant as a kind of sociological research um, as well. Um, so when I um, started to look for uh, women that have the same first name and uh, family name like me, I, I didn't know what to expect. I could not um, know who is going to show up and is how many and if they will be interested to take part in this collaboration and to which extent and so on. And I could not cast women, you know, they, they were just as they are and Um, more or less open to be part of it. Each of us, uh, basically over 33 women that took part in the, at least the questionnaire, um, uh, in, the, in the brief interview, were either born in the former Yugoslavia, either parents were born in that territories. Um, and they were born um, in the countries that um, came to life after Yugoslavia or uh, abroad from parents who emigrated. Definitely, Yugoslavia was a common um, thread. And then um, another thing that um, all of the women identified as women, as, as female, and um, generationally there was incredible var variety. And the ones who took part in the creative workshops, uh, they also showed that they were creative and that they were open. For me, the, the pro project itself, the lexicon of Tanya's Ostovich, uh, as a sociological research in small, uh, showed that actually women um, in the time of Yugoslavia had more access to education and uh, had better working conditions. 
the women were emancipated back then. And then, um, uh, especially in the educational and working field, but still um, they got only halfway uh, when it's about um, emancipation uh, in the family. So many of them kept doing the whole uh, house course and the care of the children. Uh, even they were like um, sometimes better educated than their partners and uh, had a full-time job. So this was um, uh, something that um, in Yugoslavia didn't went so far. But uh, on the other side, like uh, concerning reproductive rights and um, especially when they were women in the, um, in the cities, they were quite well off, uh, even comparison to 2020 uh, Western Europe. Ostojic is based in Berlin and has been able to make some comparisons. It, it was for me uh, also kind of like a cultural shock that I learned that in, in Germany, in year 2020, it was introduced for the first time law, uh, same pay for the same job. The gender pay gap in, in Germany is 30%. And uh, it, it's just like unbelievable for me because uh, uh, I think uh, this was not the case in the former Yugoslavia at all. Uh, people were equal in front of the law, uh, at least. Uh, also, for example, reproductive rights. In 2020, uh, abortion right in Germany is also not, you can't just out of blue uh, go for such decision you have to have a reason to do that i was quite surprised about that i, I didn't expect it that the it's so conservative because being brought up in Yugoslavia, we thought this is the standard this is the way it should be you know but then with the time you learn that uh, not everywhere women went so far there was a certain heritage uh, cultural heritage and this you know, there, there are some things we, we, went, we read, we listened, we've done, uh, and um, this um, influenced our development uh, in the early age. And uh, I think um, definitely um, should be um, a study field. And uh, um, I think that uh, some of the people that I know are making uh, incredible um important contribution to, towards that. According to Anna Hoffman, because Lepa Brenna and her music were so associated with the socialist Yugoslav past, attending her concert can in one sense be seen as an individual act of political subversion. This is most visible when Yugoslovenka comes on and Yugoslav flags appear in the audience. The intersection of her public persona, music, self-representations and history unravels a complex relationship between emotional, social and political attachments with the Yugoslav past. The same goes for artists who identify as, or whom Yasmina Tumbas has identified as, Yugoslovenkas. The active interplay of past and present and future in their work, the highlighting, if not promotion, of ideals and values that may or may not be gaining relevance again as the neoliberal world theaters, the use of their bodies as the medium for their art, all of this points to art as a political expression of awareness raising, of defiance, of resistance, of presenting alternatives to the current condition. I'm no art critic. In fact, I usually don't quote-unquote get performance art or maybe modern art in general. But in the work of Yasmina Sibic, Tanya Ostoic and Bojana Vidikanic, I detect all of those things. 
and thankfully there are people like Yasmin Otumbas who tell the world about it. Buy her book I am Yugoslovenka today or participate in the giveaway on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter for a chance to win a copy. Next on Remembering Yugoslavia. Jovanka Broz, she was the big and the very important patron of a very young fashion Yugoslav industry. Jovanka Burisavljevic was the wife of Josip Broz Tito. Melania Knavs is the wife of Donald John Trump. Two women from the former Yugoslavia, two presidents, two continents, two eras. On the next episode of Remembering Yugoslavia, a Jovanka versus Melania celebrity death match. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening. Find additional information, resources, links, and a transcript of this episode at rememberingyugoslavia.com podcast. If you like today's conversations and want to hear more, check out the extended version of this episode by joining many a Yugoslovenka and Yugoslaven on Patreon or making a contribution via PayPal. Visit rememberingyugoslavia.com slash donate today. Outro music courtesy of Robert Petric, additional music courtesy of Neira and Almir Kalajlic. Track by Petar Alargic, licensed under Creative Commons. I am Petar Korchniak. Ciao!